awesome podcast. Toot toot. Boy, do we have a fun show planned tonight. Oh, we, we, we're doing a fun show tonight? Yeah. Yeah, we got a fun show planned tonight, Mr. Possum. Uh, we're going to be talking about our favorite duos. Oh, that's a relief. Okay, I thought we wasn't doing a fun one. I thought we were doing the accounting episode. You know, where we count up all our receipts and expenses and stuff. Nope. Nope, nope. We decided to do a fun one tonight. Thank goodness. We thought the listeners might enjoy that, might enjoy a fun show instead of a boring show. Tight. Yeah, we always have the option of doing a stinker. Yeah. I'm glad we're not. Yeah, we don't have to do good shows for y'all. Just a, just a little reminder there, but we often do. I suppose you could be grateful, but you don't have to be. You also don't have to be grateful that we do a good show. So, as Big Al said, tonight we're going to be counting down our top five Best duos. It's favorite duos tonight on the show. Big Al, what's your number five? My number five duo is Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. Ah. What a pair. This is one of the all-time duos, am I right? Oh, yeah, totally. Brilliant, enigmatic, eccentric, oddly dressed detective Sherlock Holmes and bog-standard default NPC Victorian-era gentleman Dr. John Watson. See, Watson was a normie, Mr. Possum, and that's good. A brilliant Challenging, envelope-pushing mind like Detective Sherlock Holmes needs a normal fella around to bounce stuff off of uh-huh. before those ideas hit the rest of the world. You see, if you don't try stuff out like that on a less complicated mind and see how it hits, you may end up pulling a Marty McFly guitar solo at the Enchantment Under the Sea dance. You gotta have a buddy around when you think different. It's sort of like you and me, Mr. Possum, you know? Oh, totally. Yeah, like I'm the crazy... Nighttime possum, walking around, talking like people. And then you're, you know, boring old Norm. (laughs) I think you've got it wrong, Mr. Possum. You see, you're actually the normie, and I'm the eccentric, fascinating mind who needs a sort of sounding board to uh, try my ideas out on. I just can't wrap my mind around this, Big Al. That's bizarre that you would say this. I'm a possum. I'm the different one. (laughs) See? And just like that. I've got you confused already. Thank you so much, Dr. Watson, for uh, helping to demonstrate this to the audience. Wow, and thanks for reminding me how streetlights were lit in the 1800s in England with gas. You're saying that I'm gaslighting you? You gaslit me. Yeah. Well, I'm a complicated figure, Mr. Possum. But hopefully my light uh, enriches your life a little bit and makes things uh, you know more, more fun and interesting for you. Shut up. Shut it up. Shut your face. No. Here's my one question about Dr. Watson, Mr. Possum. Uh, this guy's an MD. Dr. Watson, MD. Mm-hmm. When does he see his patients? Why has he got all this free time to just listen to some guy, you know? <laughs> just sort of be around. That's classic. Now I know why the wait time at the doctor's office is so long, you know? But doctor's probably holding a detective's coat somewhere while he uh, sniffs the tire track. Boy, where's the Seinfeld slap bass underneath when you need it? Mr. Possum, what's your number five? It's a classic, buddy. It's Batman and Robin. That's my number five. Never before has there been such a clear delineation of 
Who's daddy and who's not? Everybody knows their roles in this partnership, which is good. Uh-huh. You got Batman, you got Robin. And Robin's never like, hey, can I be a Batman tonight? I mean, he, if he said that, boy, oh boy, would he get a Batarang hit in his head, you know? <laughs> yeah. He would never even dare to ask. He's the one who wears the bright colors at night while they're fighting crime. Why do you think that is? It's so he can draw fire. And then Batman comes out of the shadows and does his cool stuff. He's basically like the flashy fishing lure on the end of the line. Or to use a bird analogy for Robin, he's sort of the canary in the coal mine. He's there to sort of take the first hit. Exactly. And I think that Batman is so smart because he probably wanted to call him the canary. <laughs> and he caught himself and he was like, oh, I mean, Robin. <laughs> You know, like, he, he would be too on the nose if it was Canary, because that boy would have known. He'd be like, hey, wait a minute. I know the only time people talk about Canaries is when they're doing the worst job at the mine. Here's the thing. Batman operates his little crime-fighting thing out of a cave. And he always said he's afraid of bats. You know, he he dresses up like, like a bat because he's afraid of them. He's never said, hey, I'm not afraid of bats anymore. Like, he's still afraid of bats. So let's be clear about that. So I think that Robin's number one job is to be the canary in the coal mine to where when they come in the, the bat cave at night, he's like, hey, you go in first. I'll be right there. I, th I'm gonna, I think I stepped in gum. I need to find a stick to kind of get this gum out of my boot. And then Robin goes in there first and all the bats flit about. And Batman's like, oh, good. I just couldn't handle that tonight. So let's say, Mr. Possum, you're, you're applying to become a sidekick for a uh, superhero somewhere, a comic book hero somewhere. And, and the only guy who's looking for a sidekick, very similar to Batman, operates out of a cave, but he calls himself the coal miner, you know? Ooh. And he's, he's not covered in black from head to toe because he's a bat. He's covered in soot from head to toe, coal soot, right? Yeah, it's good clean coal. Yeah, and he's looking for a sidekick very similar to Robin, uh, except this one will be called the Canary, right? Truly the uh -huh. Canary. Now... Is that a more honest situation than Batman and Robin because he's being more upfront about what your role will be? Or are you turning that one down as well because you you don't want to be no canary and no coal mine? Ooh, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's more honest, but you'd be an absolute fool to sign up for that job. Yeah. And you'd also be a fool to sign up for the Robin job, but, you know, at least people could say, well, I don't blame you. It seemed like a cool job. Yeah, I think they the, the reason they never had a literal canary in a coal mine on the uh, on the Flintstones is because that would be too depressing to think that that would be a job that someone had actually applied for and and taken, you know? Yeah. Well, you could work as the needle on my record player or you could uh, apply for certain death down in the uh, coal mines here. Yeah, one's adventure, you know. See the underside of the world. <laughs> Big Al, what's the next on your countdown? My number four best duo is Loretta Lynn and Conway Twitty. What a pair! The Twit. This duo dominated the Billboard charts in the second golden era of American country music, with 12 duet singles in the top 10 and five number one duet hits. 
All this despite not actually being a real couple themselves, not being together. Wait, whoa, 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 Big Hal. Yeah. You tell me they weren't they weren't together? They wasn't a couple? Yep. They were just putting on a show for you, Mr. Possum, and you bought it. <laughs> oh, well, I guess it seems I'm the twit. Twitty himself had numerous other wives that were not named Loretta, and Loretta was married for 50 years to a feller named Dew. But all their songs are about being in love and breaking up and then getting back together and all that kind of stuff. Yep. Their songs were sort of an audio tabloid, you know, or a serialized melodrama. Each one making you think, ooh, will this be the song that ends their relationship? Will their pairing survive this latest snag? Oh, I sure hope so. They got those ugly kids to worry about. Exactly. There's that exact song I was thinking about. Through there. He's blaming the other one why he's ugly. And the deception does not end there, Mr. Possum. Oh, no. You see, I did a little research, and Conway Twitty's real name was not even Conway Twitty. He's not a descendant of the uh, Twitty name. What? That's a name he chose for himself. Can you imagine going up on stage under a false, goofy-sounding name like Twitty? I sure can't. I sure can't imagine picking a goofy-sounding name for myself and then using it for years to go up on stage and perform songs. I cannot imagine that. But the weird thing about his stage name is he seemed to really adopt it in his life as well as on stage. He had a wife named Mickey, and when they got married, she became Mickey Twitty. Mickey Twitty. How's that for a name? Mickey Twitty. And they had a son named Jimmy. Conway named him Jimmy Twitty. And they all lived together in an entertainment compound called Twitty City outside Nashville, Tennessee. It was the Silicon Valley of its time. That's wild. Mickey Twitty sounds like kind of like the sound a, a little squeaky rubber ball makes, like Wicky Twitty. Exactly right. She must have thought every ungreased wheel that went past her was calling her name, you know? Mm -hmm. But then, get this. When he died, his gravestone said Harold Lloyd Jenkins. Oh. Because that was his real name. Now, Mr. Possum, imagine you're Jimmy Twitty. You've been Jimmy Twitty your whole life, and your dad dies, and he's like, that was a bit, actually. I was doing a bit. I was joking. Just kidding. My name's Harold Jenkins. Right. Have fun with the name Jimmy Twitty for the rest of the time. Yep. I bet Howdy Doody did his kids like that, too. You know? Yeah. All these little wooden babies. They call them the last name is Doody now. And then them little wooden kids go to old Howdy Doody's grave. And it don't say Howdy Doody. It says Howard Graham. <laughs> oh, man. He did him dirty. Doody did him dirty. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be such a mysterious T-shirt. It's just these little sad, crying wooden boys sitting next to a grave. It says Howard Graham, and at the bottom it says, Duty did him dirty. <laughs> we should put that in our merch store, I think. Yeah, that's good. Mr. Possum, what is your number four? Well, you can't talk about duos without talking about Bert and Ernie. That's true. Classic twosome. Uh-huh. Dynamic duo. This is what's up. They're best friends and they're Muppets. And it, it, they're inspiring because they're always fighting. But at the end of the day, they put their little adorable twin beds together and they say, good night, Bert. Good night, Ernie. And then they go to bed. Uh-huh. It's, it's inspiring. It's what all friends should do. I mean, it's kind of inspiring. Unless you consider that if one of them got a raise at their job, they might be able to afford to go live by themselves. 
They could afford to, but they wouldn't. Oh, you think they would? No, because the real measure of a friendship is, can I stay over? You know, that that's the real measure of a friendship. So this is my way of tactfully kind of asking, like, can we do the Burton or anything? Can we scoot our beds together in your house and sleep in the same bed, kind of? Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 Mr. Prosser. No. That is out of, out of the question. But I've been very clear that this is what any good friendship hinges on. I've been very clear with that. No. Look, if you're trying to get a sleepover going, there, there's other ways to go about it besides bringing up Bert and Ernie. For, for one thing, their sleepovers aren't that good. Yeah, they are. No, they're not. Every Bert and Ernie skit starts with one of them just like reading a book in a chair. You don't sit in a chair and read a book while you're having a sleepover. You know? Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes they're eating cookies. You don't take a bath by yourself while you're having a sleep. That's how you get ready for one. With your rubber du- and sing sing a whole song for your rubber ducky while the other person's just sitting there in the other room reading a book. Yeah, you do. You do that stuff so that if you're Ernie, you sing a song to a rubber ducky so that Bert looks at you like, I can't wait to sleep in the same bed as that fella. He's fun. Yeah. You got to build it up. Well, I, I mean, I brought up a bath. If you were trying to inspire me to let you into my house, a bath would be a good start. Hmm. Well, I mean, I do take baths occasionally. If I get sprayed by a skunk, yes, I will fill up the tub with some nice bisque and get in there and take a soak. And, and then I'll get into the bed all slightly skunky and just lousy with tomato sauce. Yeah. That's only if I get sprayed by the glands of a skunk. Well, listen, Mr. Prosman, even if we did have a uh, a sleepover, we're not going into the we're not going into the bedroom. We're not pushing beds together. We're not doing any kind of we're not doing anything like that. We would sleep on the floor in the basement like a traditional sleepover. Is it because of my dolly? Is it because of the dolly that I have? Look, it's not a baby. It's a wad of cabbage. I know it smells like garbage, but it's real cabbage. Yeah, it smells awful. You're too, you're way too old to be sleeping with a dolly, uh, even if it wasn't made of rotting cabbage. All right, I'll tell you what. I'll get rid of the I'll get rid of the cabbage patch dolly, but I am not getting rid of my night eggs. Your night eggs? Yes, my night eggs. I got some spare devils that I put underneath my pillow. In case the, the, the Eggman comes at night and I need to pay him. <laughs> and I also have a little snack. The Eggman is you, and you need a snack. Well, if you want to destroy it, the fun of it, yeah, I guess. Okay. What if you just didn't eat the eggs in bed? What if you just ate the eggs before you went to sleep? Yeah, but I wake up, and that Eggman's calling, and I, I got to pay him his due. Okay. I got to have my night eggs. Oh, do you, you think that you're some kind of perfect little angel? You think that you don't do weird stuff at night? No, I don't. I sleep normal. I sleep extremely normal. I'm not creating a bunch of awkward situations and smells mm. for someone else in the room the way that you are by surrounding myself with garbage and deviled eggs. I simply tuck myself into my bed in my sleeping gown I turn the light off, I take my wristwatch off and put it on the bedside table, and I lay my head down upon my pillow, and then I put my thumb in my mouth and suck on it until I go to sleep. That's a deal breaker for me, buddy. What? Disgusting. I am pushing the beds apart right now. You, every night you suck on that thumb? Oh, no. 
That's disgusting. This is a habit that helps me sleep, Mr. Possum. It's not a big deal. It's a disgusting habit that you should be ashamed of. I gotta lay there at night and listen to you suckling your thumb. And I know, I know that that thumb is all raisiny from being in there all night. And I swear to the heavens, if that wrinkly old wet thumb were to touch me at night, I would lose my mind and attack you. Okay. Well, listen, this is not going to work out. We're not going to be a good sleepover pair. So let's just forget it. I'm hurt and Ernie that you would keep something like that from me. I didn't know you was a thumb sucky. <laughs> hurt and Ernie. Okay. All right. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, you know, hurt and Ernie. Yeah, yeah. It's when Ernie's tight, but Bert's someone who hurts your feelings. Sure. You really Bert my feelings. So I'm Bert. Yeah. I'm the Bert of of the pair. You're the Bert. Yeah. It kind of does work. It kind of does work me as Bert. Oh, for sure. What a ride we've been on. We've been counting down our favorite duos. Big Al, what's next on your countdown? My number three is Rose and Jack from Titanic. What a pair. Boy, oh boy, these two are one of history's great duos. A testament to the enduring power of love and the change that a sudden soulmate can bring into your life. Think about what Jack did for Rose, Mr. Possum, besides saving her life as that mighty ship sank in those cold Arctic waters. When she got on the Titanic, she was like a Gilded Age relic, stuck in an arranged marriage to some rich, boring guy living a life of dinner parties and afternoon tea and shallow, polite conversations. And then after she got off the boat, she took Jack's last name instead of her own and became more of a modern, free-spirited lady making pottery and acting and riding a horse on the beach and all that stuff. And so it was as if he stayed with her that whole time for the remainder of her life, even though he spent that same time becoming a skeleton at the bottom of the ocean. <clears throat> One of Davy Jones' shipmates on their eternal voyage to collect those souls lost at sea. I, of course, uh, believe that that is what happens to a soul that is lost at sea. It becomes part of Davy Jones' uh, crew. So in many ways, the lives of Jack and Rose can be seen as a metaphor for great cultural change. As she became a 20th century free-thinking woman, and he became a chilling, bony harbinger of wet death. That don't sound like a great team, honestly. It sounds kind of like one-sided. I hate it. Oh, I'm sorry. Am I challenging your conception of what a duo can be? Sometimes a duo can be a lady riding a horse on a beach and a skeleton at the bottom of the ocean. I mean... It's tight if, like, if Rose ends up dying at sea later so that she becomes a bony skeleton, too. And she's like, hey, what a time I've had. You know, I'm ready to join the pirate army. You know, at least they're, they kind of even out. Well, you know what, Mr. Possum, I'll let you pitch that to her. I'll let you say, hey, Rose, how about, you know, your life would be, uh, would make more sense to me if uh, you drowned. I'll let you go ahead and pitch that to the uh, aging Rose Dawson. I think Rose should be kidnapped 
This is, this is my sequel pitch to, for Titanic. She gets kidnapped by pirates. They make her walk the plank, and she dies, and it's all sad. And then after the credits, she's down there like 100 years later, and she's all bones. And she sees Jack, who's also all bones. And she's like, hey, what's up, Bonesy? And then there's no music, and then their bones just clack together as they hug. A lot of dry clacking. Yeah, their ribs probably get tangled up together, probably. Which is just, oh, what a... What a hot scene. Mr. Possum, what's your number three? Uh, that'd be chips and dip. Chips and dip, baby. Ooh-wee, chips and dip. Love that. Match made in heaven, you know. The chip is too dry. The dip is too wet. No sane soul would eat just a chip by itself. And it would take an even crazier person just to slurp some dip. You gotta <laughs> do it together. You got chips and cheese. Chips and salsa. Yeah, spinach chip in chips. The fact that it's called dip tells you that it's part of a team, you know? Because dip is what you do to it, and it's what you call it. Right. What's your favorite chip and dip combo, Big Al? Oh, I think it's got to be that classic ballpark nachos and melted cheese. Oh, yes. That's a good one. Yep, love that salty, plasticky ballpark cheese. I think my favorite would have to be the mozzarella cheese stick and the dip. Now, it's not a chip and dip, but it's a dip. That mozzarella cheese stick demands to be dipped. Yep. Which makes it into a little pizza stick. Hey, you out there, tell us what your favorite chip and dip combo is. Don't write in. Just yell it right now, wherever you're sitting. Just yell it. Scream it at the radio. We'd like to hear. Oh, wow. That's oh, that's interesting. Ooh, that's that, so interesting. That's good. I like that. Wow. Good choice. You have great taste and you're interesting as well. Who's next on your list? My number two favorite duo. My number two favorite duo is bourbon and ginger ale. What a pair. What a delicious duo. What a pair. Now, it may concern you how high I'm ranking an alcoholic beverage on my list of top duos. And leave me alone. I'm fine. I'm doing just fine. Now, what can you say about bourbon, Mr. Possum? It's the standard brown liquor. Not too sweet, not too fancy, not too nothing. It's perfect. It honestly, just tastes like you're licking an old board. And that's just right there in the Goldilocks zone if you're like me and you appreciate the classic flavors. You know, just salt, uh, goldfish, crackers, cheddar flavor. Mm -hmm. Sure. And an old board. And ginger ale, uh, on paper, I think, Probably shouldn't work as a mixer for bourbon. It's a light, bubbly drink, eternally youthful and refreshing, with that little gingery zing. It's uh, it's just a, from a whole other world than bourbon. But somehow these two beverages together become a real knockout. Bourbon adding weight and depth and a reason to drink a beverage at all. And ginger ale providing that cloudy spritz that makes you feel alive. I've been referred to as a cloudy spritz before. That probably after you get uh, sprayed by a skunk. Yeah. Now, people usually call this drink a bourbon and ginger, which works because it tells you the ingredients. And if someone's sitting next to you at the bar, they go, ooh, that sounds interesting. But I suggest that we change the name of this drink. 
I think it needs a new name. I think it needs to be codified as a real official cocktail, not just something where you call out the ingredients to the bartender. I think it needs a name, you know? I suggest we call it the Big Howl. What? Just because you like it? I agree that it needs a name, but why you? Well, because I'm, I'm probably the most famous proponent of this beverage right now, you know? Huh? You're saying you're the most famous person who's publicly likes this drink? Well, I mean, is anybody else scrambling to have their name attached to this drink? I, 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 look, I'm, I'm just saying it needs a name. I've got a name. Let's give it my name. Uh, Big Howl. It's, it, it's got a great catchy zing to it, like the drink itself. Well, I guess you got to call Big Bourbon and Ginger and get it figured out. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, I'm just saying, Mr. Possum, if you happen to know someone who, say, owns a bar... And uh, they have cocktails at their bar. Maybe tell them to put Big Howl on the menu as a, a bourbon and ginger ale drink. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, the thing is, is that on the menu, they're going to have to put in parentheses bourbon and ginger. You know? And then after a while, people are going to be like, why don't you just call it bourbon and ginger? Who is this Big Howl guy? I don't think they're going to be asking, who's this Big Howl guy? They're going to go like the guy from the radio. That's what they're going to they're, they're say that. <laughs> Mr. Possum, what's your number two best duo of all time? Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Ooh. And before you say, well, those are the same feller. No, they are not. They are two different fellers. They just inhabit the same body. They couldn't be more different from one another. Wait, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde inhabit the same body? Yeah, they trade off. Really? Yeah. Oh, man, that makes me mad. They both owe me money. Oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. Wouldn't that be funny, though? If that they, would be if, convenient, like, because if, if Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde both owed you money, you just have to go just make one stop to get it back. Right. You got to have two different conversations, but it's one stop. Right. But, boy, I, but you're probably going to have a real hard time getting that money from Mr. Hyde. Yeah, but, I mean, I, I think it'd be funny if you had to, like, carry out that conversation where you're like, you actually owe me 40 bucks, even though you think you only owe me 20, because the other guy... Also borrowed twenty bucks. I just think this is funny. I think we could we could do something with this at some point. Yeah, we probably need that slap base again. Yeah, Doctor Jekyll debt collector. Uh, that's a sketch that will be coming soon on the Big Howard <laughs> Possum Radio Hour. Classic. I've always thought it was kind of crazy that like the monster is Mister Hyde and not Doctor Jekyll. Jekyll just kind of sounds like a little goblin. Yeah, you know. But that's just that's the normal guy. Mister Hyde sounds fun. He sounds like he's full of fun and games. I don't like it. They should switch him. Yeah. But I, I think that Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde have a good... They Together, they live a full life. You know, you've got the tame, mild guy, then you got the wild boy. Then you got the wild card. Yeah. And it's great because you can do all this stuff and have fun, and then you don't have to, you know, own it. You can be like, oh, I didn't... I'm sorry. I, did somebody drive through your garden? That was probably Mr. Hyde. It wasn't me. Right. You get to have a scapegoat and also do the stuff. Yeah, it's like you on six ounces of uh, soda, you know? Oh, yeah. You get six ounces of soda in you. Woo-hoo-hoo, boy. When I'm gone off that fizz, when I've just got all that sugar in my system, ooh-wee, better, better hide in your house, you know what I mean? Yep. Because Jekyll ain't around, if you know what I mean. Yep.
What a time we've been having. We've been counting down our, our favorite duos, and I can't believe it, but we've gotten to the end of it. Big Al, what's your number one top duo? Okay, this one may seem controversial, considering it's the two of us, but I truly feel that my number one duo of all time is Big Howl and Possum. Ugh, no, come on, no. Mr. Possum, I think our relationship is up there with all the great partnerships and pairings in the history of the world. No. What we have accomplished together is truly something very... Look at me, look at me, look me in the eye as I say this. What we have accomplished together, Mr. Possum, is something truly special to me. And I want you to know, look at me, Look at me. I don't want to. This is uncomfortable. I want you to know that you have been the rose to my jack, the ginger to my bourbon. You have been that last, most substantial puzzle piece to my life over these last few years. I am so grateful. Stop it. To have you as my sidekick here on the Big Hell and Possum podcast. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Sidekick? You think I'm the sidekick? You're not just any sidekick. You're my sidekick, Mr. Possum. That's worse. I don't like it. I don't want to be your dang sidekick. What's... Well, you're my sidekick. That's obvious. This is insulting. This is like Robin t- telling Batman. <laughs> oh, yeah. Whoa, 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 whoa. How would I be the sidekick? Well, because I'm Batman, because I stay up late, and I do stuff in the shadows. That's why. Okay. I'm daddy. Okay, so it's 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 possum and also his little sidekick Big Hal. See, that just sounds absurd. Just saying it like that. No, it's Big Hal and 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 possum, and that's why everybody thinks that you're like a puppet that I do the voice for as well. Everybody thinks I'm a puppet? People think that you're doing my voice? Yeah. Oh, this is disturbing. Do your possum voice for everybody out there. Let them know what it sounds like, really. Hey, it's me, the possum. I'm uh, I'm Big House sidekick. See, there's the difference, listeners. There's the difference. He sounds like a gravelly little muppet, whereas I sound like a like Tom Jones, I guess. What What do you think? What are you thinking? I sound like a muppet. Well, Mr. Possum, what's your number one favorite duo? My number one top duo is Itchy and Scratchy. Oh wow, Itchy and Scratchy, like from The Simpsons. Like from the what now? You're a big fan of the animated cat and mouse that uh, Bart and Lisa watch there on the on The Simpsons. It's kind of a satirical spin on the old Tom and Jerry cartoons. Oh, is that what they call that? No, I, I was just talking about the act of itchy and scratchy. You know, like, ooh, I've got an itchy. I need to scratchy. You know, I get, I get bit by a mosquito and then I scratch it. Your number one favorite duo is itching and scratching. Yeah, but it's fun when I say it's itchy and scratchy. Right. Sometimes when I when I scratch myself, I'll go, it's the itchy and scratchy show. But it's just me scratching myself. Right. Sometimes I forget that you're a wild animal. Right. And then I and then I am reminded of it by the fact that you value scratching an itch over over sort of any any anything else. Oh yeah, it's the best. But I, I I'm here to tell you. The show's almost over, but I, I'm here to tell you. If you want to switch it up, if you're tired of scratching your many itches, try slapping it. It'll work. And the, it's really similar. It's just the itchy and slappy show. Itchy and slappy. Yeah, you slap it. And then you get that relief and you don't you don't look so itchy. You just look like you're slapping yourself, which is a different vibe. Yeah. 
you look tired and not like you have a rash. It's a little bit less embarrassing. Yeah, it just depends on the event, you know. It's the Itchy and Scratchy Show. It's it's good. The Big Howl and Possum Podcast. Toot toot.